0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com, and on this episode of the podcast, Matt Hudson from WhatIWatchTonight.co.uk will be on the episode as per usual. We co-host this podcast together every week. This is the first time in the history of the BAMP, that we had a major technical error, and the first two or so minutes of the podcast was lost. Uh, my computer restarted in the middle of recording. We thought it had caught it, found out afterwards that it only got everything after my computer restarted, um, and not before. So this is me uh, introducing the movie of the week, which is Cry Macho. Uh, it's the new Clint Eastwood movie that's available to watch same day in theaters as it is on HBO Max. As I said, it is directed by Clint Eastwood, um, written by Nick Schenk, and Art. Uh, it, nah, and Richard Nash. Sorry, I messed up a name there. That's normal BAMP type stuff. It stars Clint Eastwood, Dwight Yoakam, Daniel V. Gralu. I'm um, getting some other people here. Amberlynn Ashley, Brittany Ratledge, and Alexandra Ruddy. Has a 52 metascore, 54 metascore, and I believe it was in the 52 range for the Rotten Tomatoes as well. A 5.9 IMDB user score. Um, The plot synopsis from IMDb is a one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder takes a job to bring a man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mom. On their journey, the horseman finds redemption through teaching the boy what it means to be a good man. And so you're going to join us in the podcast uh, when we just start talking about this and kind of our history with Clint Eastwood as a filmmaker in general and an actor. and. Uh, that's the episode. Apologies for the technical error. We'll be back next week, as we say at the end of the episode, uh, with the other details. So, here we go. Let's get into Cry Macho. So, Eastwood has a crazy story career, and I have been lukewarm on the movies of his that I've seen. I've definitely not seen all of his films, both neither acting nor directing, but there are some that I love. I, I'm a big supporter of Sully. I thought Sully was great. Uh, you had been advocating for million dollar, uh, baby oh, for a long man. time. Finally watched that. Totally get it. It's an amazing movie. Um, I like unforgiven, mm-hmm. uh, and, and there's definitely others. And obviously good, bad and ugly, which he the did mystic not. I love that movie so much. I've never seen mystic river. I haven't seen any of the dirty Harry movies. Um, so like I have a lot of gaps in the Clint Eastwood oeuvre. Um, I am not a fan of American sniper. Didn't like the mule. And oh, God, uh, no, yeah. And, and, um, I actually did like Richard Jewell, though, uh, which he's not the lead in, but I did. I no. liked Richard Jewell. Um, I was kind of apprehensive about Cry Macho going in, but let's look at the stats for Cry Macho. This is the newest film from Clint Eastwood. It is in theaters and HBO Max, same day as all of the WB releases have been this year. It's written by Nick Schenk and Richard uh, and Richard Nash. Stars Eastwood, Dwight Yoakam, Daniel V. Gralu. Amberlynn Ashley, Brittany Ratledge, and Alexandra Ruddy. Uh, The IMDb synopsis says a one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder takes a job Mm. to bring a man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mom. On their journey, the horseman finds redemption through teaching the boy what it means to be a good man. Had uh, a current score of 52% on RT, which is Rotten Tomato, 54 Metascore, so very, very close in that. That's not always the case with those two scores. Uh, 6.1 IMDb user score and 3.1 on Letterboxd. Um, again, it's in theaters and HBO Max. I actually opted to watch this one on HBO Max. This is one of the first uh, HBO Max releases since theaters around me have been open that I mm-hmm. ended up watching it from home.
1: The beauty um, of choice.
0: Yeah, it was. And it was no disrespect. I actually saw a different movie at my theater and then just time kind of got away from me. And I, I, it just made more sense to check it out at home. Um, and I, I kind of regret it, uh, watching it at home because I definitely found this movie's, uh, tempo to be easy to like ignore. <laughs> like I was able to kind of like phase out at times. And I don't think I would have done that in the theater. Um, because this is kind of a movie that meanders it, the plot is exactly what it says. And there's a lot of little plot contrivances to keep them from achieving the goal that never really feel like they're they're there but they just feel redundant. I, I I think the movie could have maybe been 20 minutes shorter. A lot of the things that like stopped them from going, we could have cut out it stopped them from going and just had the character development that we want because that is what this movie is. It's it's more about the characters. And in that way, it's very you know, it's it's enjoyable, but it's uneventful and thus it, it is easy to kind of look past. Um and I don't feel like that's a criticism as much as why I wasn't super drawn into this movie uh, and why I do regret not watching it in the theater. I think in the theater I would have had my attention more. Maybe I would have been a little more invested in the characters because that is all the movie's really offering up. Like the plot is irrelevant other than giving us a reason for these two people to connect. And you see this man um, who I guess we're supposed to be kind of acknowledging the Eastwood oeuvre of like who the character is. Like you're kind of supposed yeah. to know. Like, it feels like there's a little shorthand with like why he's kind of a jerk right and then that's the redemption quality it's not just this, this character it's kind of like eastwood's history and like the depiction of him as this kind of overly macho guy who doesn't care we see him start to care there's the softer side um and overall i don't dislike this movie i just it's it's skippable in a polite way, like I don't mean that as a slight. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think there's anything um, particularly wrong with it. I just uh, I feel like it's it's not something that you you got to see. Like if you're into these kind of characters, like sitting with them and just kind of witnessing them, ex- like go through a su- a subtle change. It's there, um, but most of it's kind of uneventful. Uh, there's no real. Like even the the moments of tension get like cut short every time mm-hmm. I felt like or like it's just like abruptly like, oh, that was it. I was like, oh, okay. Which is fine. It's kind of more realistic in that way, I suppose, but it does it does make all those moments feel short. There's some really beautiful cinematography in this movie. Uh an early scene um of him driving where like the horses are running next to the truck. I thought yeah. that shot was great. Uh but again, like it did make me wonder how he got it because Eastwood's notoriously like a one-take uh, wonder. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, um, you know, Oh, how did he manage to get that shot? If he's only doing one take is like the odds of that are pretty low, right? Like to like sync up everything. You Plus there's a shot, reverse so. shot. like you see, there's a shot inside the truck and there's also the yeah, shot yeah. from the field perspective. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. But um, yeah, but overall I didn't dislike the movie. I just found it pretty, you know, Un, unimpactful where I was able to, I, I wish I'd been in the theatre where I would have been only able to really look at that where at home there were just the distractions were winning pretty quickly
1: yeah it's that kind of film I saw it that I I had to see it at the theatre because we don't have HBO Max in the UK I don't know if I've mentioned that or not Bitter yes uh, I had to watch it at the theatre and um, to your point it, yeah the, the cinematography is stunning beautiful on the on the big screen and that's really what crime Macho is to me it's a film that looks good you know it's, And you're right it does take its time it's a character piece but it's more about atmosphere and vibe and trying to build up this arc rather than be anything else and to that end it's successful but it just it like you it just didn't grab my attention and i watched it in a the theater again ah. um there's something it again like you say it's it's fine it's it's okay but it just felt like a a Clint, a Clint Eastwood film of the last, you know, 10, 20 years where, you know, Clint's got a job to do and along the way, he's got to soften up. You know, he's got to accept people and mm-hmm. and then in turn, they accept him. And it's, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's old. I'm, I, oh, I'm, I, I am going to say it and I I almost hate myself for saying it, but the dude's 91. I think for me, it's time. If if, if Clint's going to carry on in terms of filming, do, do it in front. Uh, behind the camera sorry i think uh, i i don't think that clint eastwood is particularly very good in this film um in the scenes where he hasn't got a move (laughs) he's fine Uh, i mean scenes where he has to go to sleep he's great but there are some scenes in this where it's um you think robert de niro in the irishman uh, yeah you then kind of yeah but it's a little bit more stunted or awkward than that look i'm not going to fault clint eastwood at 91 years old for getting out for for, for, for horse riding, and doing his own um scenes like he does in this film, certain again, spoiler review comes out Monday. Doing certain scenes that he does in this film, I'm in my mid thirties and it just hurts to get out of bed, hurts to walk up the stairs. And here's Clint doing this? But I think this film may have been better suited as a as a lead role going to somebody else. I think. Um, but I think Clint Eastwood uh, directs the hell out of it as much as he can do. I think he's a I think he's a very very good director, not underrated because Clint's got his juice as a, as a director. Yeah, but um, it's just another example of how good he is, you know, with filmmaking and visual storytelling. Um, other than yeah, I, I don't really think anyone pulled off. For me, I don't think I think the performances were just fine. There was a, there were a few moments where I found there's one moment which I'll mention in spoilers which i found it to be quite weird and I, I laughed in the cinema not out loud because i'm not a jerk but i was kind of like you know wtf pg podcast i won't say what i sort of muttered i was like what the? um yeah. there's one bit again it's not even that odd. it just felt strange when i was watching it um yeah some the, of the the, the story's sins. fine
0: yeah the story i mean the story is really kind of it, the whole story is kind of a MacGuffin. Like, there's really that's yeah. It's like you said.
1: It's just a means to this particular end of getting these, getting the um the old guard and the young whippersnapper on a road yeah. trip together.
0: And part of it to me, like the opening of the movie, like that scene feels so. Disconnected from the rest of the movie, like where he gets fired, and then it's just like all of a sudden the guy's hiring him again. Like how how much time has passed? Like we should have just started with him already had been fired, and this is the guy's giving him a second chance to go get his son because that scene feels so jarring once the plot starts. I'm like, wait a minute, that's the same guy. Why would he hire Clint? He just fired Clint Eastwood. (laughs) Like
1: he just fired him, and uh, Clint Eastwood walks out of the room and said. I didn't. I didn't he did no need for you to be rude. In a uh, paraphrase, so uh, the yeah. guy basically fired him for being old, late, and drunk. Uh, and then, yeah, like he, like you say, the next thing is like, oh, by the way, can you just uh, do this rather important personal uh, job for me? Yeah, uh, it's. I don't know. I I didn't dislike Cry Macho. I don't know why it's called Cry Macho. I know what I know where the Macho part comes from, but I must have missed why it's called Cry Macho. I know it's based on a book from the 70s, but um, it's. If what with a message it's about you know what's what you know what's good in life, what's real you know what's what's what what's important in life is uh what you make of it not what i guess you're expected to be um spit out but I don't know if this is clint's fena- uh swan song in in film or well, if it is then i am glad it he didn't go out on the mule put it like that this is better than the mule, and this like yeah. you say going around the circles it, this is not a bad film, it looks great. It's um, it's a ponderous film, um, but there are a few there. Are quite a few negatives for me, which did affect my enjoyment whilst watching it. But you know, it's on HBO for for, us, for our international listeners or stateside listeners. It's on HBO Max. I would say if you can do check it out on HBO Max. I wouldn't go to the theater specifically, but it turns out not many people are because it's only made about four million from a thirty-three million budget, and it's categorized really quite low numbers on hbo max but this this never felt like it was going to make certainly not make i don't think it's ever gonna make a big box office but mm. i didn't even this doesn't have the appeal of a film where people are going to want to sit down on the weekend and get into this i don't know if clint eastwood is as the lead man is still the draw that he maybe was even 10 years ago but um hopefully has a resurgence but gee i don't know it, it was far average for me
0: yeah and i th- i think that's like it's one of those movies it's pleasant enough you know you put it on in the background it's it's fine um again it's not something that you're going to be like completely wowed by um well you might do it, but yeah it might connect with yeah the right mindset uh, i suppose for me it was it was fine some of the sins from the mule which i don't want to talk about because i do feel like it falls in the spoiler territory mm-hmm. i will talk about in spoiler territory but like there are some of the things that really like irk me with decisions in the mule that i'm just like why is this happening like this guy this shouldn't happen to this guy like it doesn't fully make sense but um i did find i don't know uh the character names uh but the woman who they they find uh, a great companion in oh Martha uh,
1: marta marta Marta. I
0: I I thought she was the standout performance to be honest. Um like I I really thought she brought something whenever she was on screen, uh she kind mm. of lit up the scene.
1: I don't agree. She had more of a presence and she seemed to yes. yeah, she embodied you know more of the it's role than the rested.
0: Natalia Travin. Um is. Yes. I, I did not say I don't think in the sh- yeah, she's not listed high on uh, IMDb but she's high on Letterboxd but to me she was like the standout i really enjoyed her presence on screen mm-hmm. um felt very genuine so like of, the rooster the was good yeah i mean he was a bit of a cock are,
1: ooh.
0: that happened uh you know it's not it's not a curse word because that's the name for roosters That's
1: what it is there was 11 of them mine so uh, maybe all of them were if they were then man that was a that would be a tough set indeed
0: but I, I think that's it for Cry Macho. There's not much to really get into with this one. Um, it's not bad. Again, it's it's Eastwood is a craftsman. Even his bad movies have something there, yeah. um, and that's he, this. I do think uh, 91 as a performer. Maybe it's time to to step behind the camera. Only if he decides to keep making movies, because mm-hmm. um, like you said, it, it, you can see the 91. At, at least he is playing. I don't know. Even I think ninety one might be a little older than the character actually supposed to be. Yeah, but. I think so. Trying to
1: pass him off as like an uncle is slightly uh, generous.
0: Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Um, so yeah. Uh, overall, Matt and I seem to be m- not negative on it, but just not mm-hmm. like super advocating that you die. Right
1: dive down the middle. It's, if I could have watched it on HBO Max or or uh, on a streaming service at home, I absolutely would have taken that opportunity. Not that I dislike going to the theater, but it didn't add anything to it so this is a classic Uh, example for me streaming versus theatrical the visuals did look good on the big screen but i could still feel myself you know thinking oh i wonder what (laughs) i'd rather be sitting at home with a cup of tea looking at my phone at the same time which is heresy but it's true yep
0: yeah and i wish i hadn't done that just because i felt like i'm like maybe i missed something but it sounds like i didn't so there you go um (laughs) that's it for our review of cry macho again we'll have a spoiler episode where we get into probably not very much spoilers to be honest folks there's not a <laughs> whole lot to talk about um but we will have a very short bonus episode on monday uh but let's move to our next segment which is chuffed headlines um matt i actually usually it goes matt uh, if i'm hosting matt will will go first but i think i should go first because i think it ties in better to your your article this week if that's okay
1: you are you uh, this week you're running the desk so you're in charge my friend
0: so the headline that caught my eye is um, we have, we've reviewed Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zack Snyder has been, you know, bantied around a lot. Uh, we also reviewed his. Um, oh, me of the Dead. There it was. I could have, man, I was like, it was a zombie movie. I don't know what it was called. <laughs> uh, and this caught my eye. Frank Miller, um, most famous for several comic books, but the one that I love the most is the dark Knight returns. Mm-hmm. Um, Zack Snyder's uh, Batman, specifically uh, the Affleck Batman or the Batfleck um, had been r- clearly inspired by the Dark Knight Returns and apparently some other things. And obviously Zack Snyder also made 300, which is a Frank Miller comic. Yes. Um, so Frank Miller was being interviewed and this is from screenramp.com um, and reacts to Zack Snyder's DC movie references. And I, th- I, I kind of, I'm going to not lie the clickbait got me because I was just like, Ooh, <laughs> is he going to take a dig at Zack Snyder? Cause I, I don't dislike Zack Snyder. I do think he's a little overrated.
1: Yeah. So no, I was, no, looking, I, agree
0: I was looking for uh, Frank Miller to knock him down a peg. And instead um, I, I found Frank Miller's kind of response to this question to be quite interesting. Um, th- this is the quote. Uh, I really got to say about that. Um, a few years have gone by since all this started. Okay. And at first my reaction was to be very territorial and all that. And now I've kind of sat back and with a much deeper breath and longer view of the whole thing and all I can say is this is great. I mean, I came in and I came up with my idea for the Dark Knight Returns and that basically was the big splash I made which started my whole career going. And since then I've seen the two fields collaborate back and forth. I benefited greatly from the Dark Knight Returns and so so have they and continue to. And it can only be looked at as a healthy relationship. And um Again, I went into this looking for a little bit of drama and instead I got that kind of, I I like seeing someone take that as a positive because Mm -hmm. um, Snyder's movies are not perfect, but they are his interpretation. And I, I, I feel like we need to be more open to that concept that every interpretation doesn't have to work for each of us, but everyone who has a take not necessarily everyone, but if it's an interesting take, if there's a reason to give them the opportunity to put their take on, we shouldn't require it be a certain thing. Like we, like if I look at Snyder's Batman and it doesn't quite work for me, I shouldn't make the complaint that it's not the Batman that I like yeah. in the sense that I want it to be this way because that Batman exists. Like I have the Michael Keaton Batman and I have the Christian Bale Batman. And now I also have the back. Like I can dislike the one of those or I can dislike all of those, or I can love all of them. And appreciate their their nuance, which comic book fans, we should be better at this because we've done that for years. Most comics have alterations or one shots or things that are not inherently canon. And we are okay with it there. But for some reason, we get a little uh gatekeepy with movies, right? Like we're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to ruin it. And it's like, no, it's a different one. It's a different version. It's a continuation. It's an alteration. And When we talk about movies, like when we watch a film like last week's Malignant, you and I interpreted it differently. Yes. But uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, had a similar kind of feeling about the movie. But why we got to that feeling was a different path. And neither of us are right or wrong. We're we're entitled to that opinion. And I I think Miller doing that and stepping back and looking at it and going, hey, you know what? At first I was like, this is mine. No one should be doing my stuff you're not doing it justice kind of thing and realizing instead like, no, he he took something I made and made something. Yes. It's connected, but it's his take on it. It's how he reacted to it. And I, I like that kind of refreshing look, especially because my understanding was Miller has been kind of like overly protective with some of his content. Um, And I think Alan Moore, even more so with like the Watchmen and stuff. Um, So, you know, I think maybe we should all take a breath. Like I love art and While I don't love all of the art that exists, I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to experience so much of it because the ones that do work for me have changed and shaped me in positive ways. And the ones that don't often are forgotten. You know, I don't think there's too many bad experiences that really have affected me long-term. And, you know, there it is. Like, let the bad ones exist because for someone else, it's the good one. It's the thing that made them happy. It's the thing that made them you know, decide to wake up that day or decide to go and do that thing or to take that chance. And hopefully no one's interpreting art to be a tool of destruction, but, you know, again, even then, I don't blame the art. That's the the individual. You know, they would have, if it wasn't for that mm-hmm. piece of art, maybe they would have interpreted something else you know, to be the the motivation for the evil thing. But uh, that's what I took from that. Sorry to go on such a long run. No, no, Yeah.
1: You know. No, no, well said, bro. Um, no, you're, it's, it's easy for me to say this from the outside, but it can also, I kind of also interpret anything like that as you know, it's the best, most sincere form of of, of a compliment is for somebody to look yeah. at something that you've done. They're not changing, you know. Zack Snyder's not in changing it or saying what Frank Miller's done was inferior. He's using it as an inspiration, building on it, and just saying, you know, when I see it, this is how I see you, the story that you've done. He's not coming out and saying it's the, the definitive way of uh viewing the story so same as like a cover song isn't it you, if, if you're going to cover a song yes you've got to cover it differently man otherwise you know what's the I point i want your
0: take on it man that's like uh to bring up my favorite musician k did a mm-hmm. three-song cover album uh i think it late last year and each song doesn't sound anything like the original outside of the obvious chorus you know like she did break stuff from limp biscuit it is nothing Dude, like I their did hear that?
1: you sent me that yeah. and i did listen to the three of them so i can uh, I, I hear I d I hear that. Um but that, but that's what it's that, that's to me how I would interpret it now I'm not Frank Miller. Um like you've mentioned you've mentioned his his works in my Sin City as well, like you say he directed that mm-hmm. as well and it's uh sequel. But um the stuff he's done, he's I mean Frank Miller's entitled to an opinion, and we all are, but Frank Miller's written some uh fantastic, fantastic uh stories. He's won everything there is to win in the world of comic books. So um no, I take his opinion on board. But it was nice, like you say, it was nice, especially in this day and age where, it, for a, for a while, well, probably still is to some people, you know, cool to bash Snyder. We all had a laugh yeah. at the release of Snyder Cup, all that kind of hoopla. But you know, Snyder's a competent enough. He's a competent filmmaker. He's clearly he's been in the game long enough. But um, I have no issue with Snyder. His films aren't always my favourite, but, but him taking on a Frank Miller project and, and putting his spin in it. It's not a problem, it isn't a problem, and Frank Miller coming out and acknowledging that that's that's refreshing to hear. In it's really sad to say, but in this day and age, it's quite nice to see you know that kind of um respect between writers and mm-hmm. filmmakers,
0: yeah, indeed.
1: Well, my one is uh, well, yeah, I, I can see why. Uh, we'd have the old switcheroo on there yeah my uh headline is the big headline of the week we're talking about discourse between filmmakers down this tied in quite well in fact uh yep. discourse between filmmakers or uh people throwing their hat into the ring this is not a nude argument but once again it's been dragged it through the mud and been brought up and it seems to have got a, a, a even more, uh, worse even greater discourse sorry online and the headline again from screen rant why do great directors need to insult the MCU's filmmakers? Mm-hmm. Uh, this was written by Thomas Lethbridge and reading the article, uh, Thomas, you're probably a great guy. But I'm not a fan of the article necessarily because I do think it's, you know, it, it's to write an article saying, you know, how dare you insult these films whilst this person is then basically saying, if you don't like the films, you're in the wrong. So it's kind of, you know, you, you work on that son, but um, says me. Obviously, Denis Villeneuve this week, came, in the last week or so, came out uh, and said that the problem with M- most MCU films—he did say the word "most," but most MCU films—is that they follow a cut and paste formula. His words, not mine. Um, and then that got out online, and obviously people went mad. So um, the reporters obviously thought, right? How could, what what can I use to get some clickbait or some li- or some clicks onto my story? We'll ask a a visionary filmmaker like Villeneuve about the MCU. Um, And this follows on, obviously, from Martin Scorsese, Ken Loach in recent years, all kind of, you know, kicking the MCU for its perceived, you know, lack of cinematic quality um, or to some impact on, you know, cinema for the negative. Some people, some of them are saying, you know, the fact that these films are preventing what they would call Better uh, forms of cinema from having greater uh, scope is is a crime to them. Now I don't necessarily think I agree with that, but um, it's an interesting discussion to have again. I, in mm-hmm. terms of the cut and paste formula, I, I don't disagree with Villeneuve, but I also will acknowledge that how many IPs don't follow this. I mean, yeah. Yeah, like, my my IP Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, you know, damn well at the end of the uh, the sequels that the bad guys aren't going to win yeah do you know it's that you know if and that star wars followed the star wars template the force awakens you know built on hope the last jedi and you know is a for the uh, resistance it was damaging crushing like the empire strikes back rise of skywalker the good guys win in the end everyone bad guys vanquished cut and paste formula apply that to most most ips or most standalone action or sci-fi fantasy films whatever lord of the rings as well So whilst, yes, Denis Villeneuve is correct in saying that to a point, it isn't, you know, it's not like you can't levy that at at any other film. You know, we'll look at Doom when it comes out, which also has a interesting way of utilising the hero's journey, but it's in there. Um, A lot of people have said this was also a way of drumming up you know um support interest in dune i don't really think you need to drum up more interest in dune considering mm. that every single member of the damn cast has been in a superhero film i i wonder if villeneuve's comments have been taken out of context somewhat because yeah you can look at look at the cast in dune almost everyone to a man and woman has been in recent mcu films or dc films so
0: except um, chalamet
1: right Except, except Chalamet. and he doesn't. I can't imagine uh, Timothy Chalamet being in an MCU film or a DC film. But um, I, my, my buddy Ant from MPM, he kind of, he, he, I was speaking to him about this, and he had an interesting point where he, like me, likes the Marvel films, but isn't huge on them. But he much prefers the DC films or the idea of the DC movies because when you, he said, when I go to watch it, I've got no idea what I'm going to get. I, mean, I don't know what I'm going to be served up on a plate from from the DC films, and you can cite some of the more recent ones, including the standalone Joker films as well. Whereas, yeah, he'll, he'll go into an MCU film, and he knows what he's going to get. So, I thought I found that interesting, and I don't again, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. I find it very interesting. But um, you you are well, we've said this ad nauseum the bigger comic book yeah. movie fan, though I do. I love comic book films in general, the genre. I love them. Some of my favorite films have come from the genre. Uh, you're seeing this dragged up again. This time it's Denis Villeneuve, yeah. director who we both think is fabulous. I love, yeah. So, big, uh, big fan. What are you thinking? I, I, do you, do you think it's been taken out of context somewhat or do you think
0: he's been a bit silly? It's hard to say if it's been taken out of context, it, it's definitely possible. Um, it is obviously you got a clickbait vibe to it. Uh, but <laughs> This is a trend. We've seen Scorsese said this a couple of different ways, in fact. And it is interesting um, for anyone to criticize redundancy because, like, if you look, Villeneuve's movies may not be cut and paste per se, but he does seem to work very well within the sci-fi genre, which is now yeah. where he's finding himself home. Scorsese works very well in the crime genre, right? Like, that's been his go-to place. Have he Has he dabbled out of it? Yeah, but he's got a, you know, 50-year career almost at this point he's done some non crime movies, but the ones that we think of that we associate with Scorsese are crime films. So to act like another genre is lesser than is a little, you know, arrogant, maybe a little ridiculous, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. not calling the kettle black sort of thing. It's like, yeah, you work in a genre that is also very formulaic, right? Like yep. the mobster movie has a formula and Blake Snyder who wrote, save the cat has, has yeah. made a lot of Hollywood scripts, outside of the comic genre feel very formulaic plot structure takes a a trend right like we follow a lot of the plot structures i mean even when lucas wrote star wars he followed the the monomyth he was going for the hero's journey 100 percent follows the formula all the way through and you know if you look at those like snyder points out he didn't create the 10 archetypes that he lists in his book he identified patterns in cinema and labeled them as such and that's the same thing that uh i I can't joseph gordon i can't no that's not right i can't think of the guy's name who did the monomyth but same idea um he didn't create it he just identified it from thousands of years of storytelling and pointed out how it's a pattern and i i can't find the quote i know this quote exists that i did not make this up but every story that's ever been told has been told and all that changes are the characters and the places and that's what we're looking for right like if we have interesting characters yes they might go through the same thing over and over again but isn't that what our day-to-day life is it's a good reminder that when our lives feel mundane and in the same thing we're in a rut so to speak every day is the same every day is the same we're used to that so Mm -hmm. seeing an old man go to mexico to retrieve a a kid for his boss (laughs) we've seen stories like that dozens and dozens of times yes we have if the characters are interesting, if they're relatable, if we like them, it doesn't matter if we know how the plot might play out. And every yep. once in a while, when someone does subvert it, are we often awed and and shocked? Yeah, a lot of times we are. And then when the next seven movies come out and do the exact same subversion, we get irritated by it. and We point out that, oh, they've already done this. And then it starts over again. This is the, the pattern of storytelling. Yes. <laughs> Yes, there is going to be some cookie cutter elements for sure. And more importantly, comic book movies aren't for everybody. But the filmmakers who are making them, especially you can tell when someone's vibing with it, right? Like when someone is like when Ryan Coogler made Black Panther, you can't look at that movie and tell me he just set out to make the big Marvel movie. He clearly has a passion for that character. Absolutely. and I think you can say that for a lot of the Marvel movies. I think Shang-Chi is a hundred percent in that, that mm-hmm. camp. It is not just a Marvel movie. Are there some cookie cutter elements? Do some things go into the Marvel-esque mode? Sure. Is it a compelling character with new visuals? And uh, uh, again, especially if we even start getting into the representation side of things, I mean, it's strong. Like all of Villeneuve's movies star white guys, except yeah. for Arrival which stars a white woman. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the, like at least in the Marvel cinematic universe, other actors are starting to get an opportunity. Sci-fi is a genre plagued by lack of representation through most of its history. There are, you can literally count on like two hands, how many black directed sci-fi movies exist. It, it's, you know, it's a genre that has not had the opportunity to, for a lot of representation. And we're seeing that shift because the Marvel movies, while they are a comic book genre, they have been crossing genre for a while now, pretty much since winter soldier where we have the spy movie. And then we have Ant-Man as the heist movie. And we have this hybridization of the genres that we see in all genre, you know, film theory. Like, I don't know. I feel like if all you can do is criticize what other people are doing in the art world it it seems it seems a little petty like and there is a lot of bitterness coming from the WB directors it seems like lately right <laughs> like um so I don't know maybe I I, I really hope Dune is great I want to love Dune I, I have Sorry. no attachment to that property I do have an attachment to the director I like the the cast a lot mm-hmm. so I I want to love it but I also like I'm also gonna still love the Marvel movies if they're good and so far they have been and, and while I I agree with your 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 aunt's comment on um the DC movies being a mixed bag, and thus there's it's there's a element of surprise. I do like knowing pretty consistently that if I'm giving my money to a Marvel movie, I'm probably going to be satisfied. You know
1: and that on the other hand is just a valid point as well. We we on this show, how many times have we said cinema or premiere access is expensive? And yeah. people don't want to be shelling out money, which they may not have. It's an expensive game where we're living in tough times. You pick and choose wisely. With the Marvel film, you know what you're going to get. And I mean, look at the directors who have directed Marvel films. There are no slouches. You get, nope. oh, but then on one hand, you get Taika Waititi saying, look, I could make my film. Then you get Edgar Wright, who couldn't make his film, and therefore, which is a shame, and therefore left yeah. Ant-Man. Uh, okay, last question for you on this point then. Uh, it's in the article, but I thought I'd. It was not. It's not a question. The article is a state. It's a fact. They say. But do you think any so Scorsese, uh, Ken Loach, and Denis Villeneuve, is this coming from a place of jealousy?
0: I don't. I I don't want to believe that. Um, I mean, their movies. While they have never, even Scorsese's movies generally are not blockbusters, right? Like most of them don't do. Gangbusters in the box office, especially not like post 90s, right? Like, um, villainous movies have not been mainstream movies at all. Uh, even Blade Runner 2049, that was, I mean, I don't know why anyone assumed Blade Runner would be a blockbuster because the original (laughs) took a long time to get there. Um, but and uh,
1: Ken Loach's films are critical darlings, but they are not made for the box office,
0: so you know, maybe, but. I don't, know. I think there might be more of a, um, like a pretension coming from that. Like mm-hmm. I make high art and they don't see comic books as high art. but there's, there's a, uh, a section of like English teachers, um, who look, look down their nose at comic books as not literature because there's pictures. And I think yep. that's ridiculous. Um, I, I definitely consider comic books to be literature and, uh, Granted, that there may not be as many words, but they're using images to show the, the thoughts as well. And the storytelling the and the character construction. Yeah. Right. And comic books are not inherently superhero. And the comic book genre, I think we say that is that we really mean the superhero genre. Um, because there are comic book movies that exist that people don't realize are comic book movies. Just like there are book adaptations that exist that people don't realize are from books, like Jaws being one of the big ones yeah. that most people didn't read the book. And for my understanding, the book's not that good. Uh, the movie's are a masterpiece. Too. Which I did read the Jurassic Park books, but they are very different. Like yeah, it's I a film yeah. Um, but you know, like it's it's that thing where we have to stop assuming because there are pictures. Because I mean, that's the the irony of that is like we look at a comic book and we say, "Oh, that's for kids because there's pictures." movies are pictures like you what is that saying? exactly like, it's, it's, um,
1: it's just a different form of expression of art That's one yeah. of it is.
0: and and i don't know there's i would love to see a shift where we look to hold up rather than put down and mm-hmm. i think as a culture as a world culture we we take way too much effort to put things down and and point out the negatives and you know rather than accept it like oh there's room for all the art like all of the art can exist and it should i i want like villanue to get to make more movies i wish i i think if there is jealousy it's not necessarily because of the performance it might be because of the ability to get them made right like that yeah if you have a superhero movie that's going to make money the studios are more willing to let you make it where with Dune, like Dune 2 right now, that you know, like we should keep that in mind. What was I think last week your article was, Will Dune 2 happen? will depend heavily on the the HBO. Max HBO, stream. yeah. That is again, I'm saying if it if people watch it, we'll make a second one. Where you think that's happening for Feige? You think he's having any trouble getting eight Marvel movies greenlit <laughs> right now?
1: Do you think it was ever in doubt of being made?
0: Yeah, so like <laughs> that's that could be where the jealousy might stem is like, I have things I want to make and people are unwilling to allow me to, because they don't think enough people will care. And that's a shame because we like, we, I mean, even box office failures now, or if they don't hit a billion dollars prior to COVID, but you know, like that's insane because for most of movie history, a billion dollars was never a possibility. And suddenly now it's like standard. Um, it, it, we yeah. we really should reevaluate our expectations of success with cinema, and even with budgets. Like, why does a movie have to be a two hundred million dollar budget movie? Let's Spot let's on, make man. some smaller I, movies. I don't
1: like the billion dollar benchmark of no way at home didn't make a billion. Oh, yeah. for one one camp will say what a flop. It, get get out of here. Go and smell yeah. the fresh air. I mean, why do we have to build things up? Hey, look, give it an RT score. But in the end of the day doesn't mean anything because halloween kills is going to come out probably be crap but i know i'm going to have a hell of a time with it and that's what matters to me um but we, yeah we put too much i say we film fans in general that and that does include us when we've been guilty of it of you know looking at a box office i I did it with crime actress now i only made this much money um yeah but a big tent pole film so you're right and yeah, I I, mean, I think with the volume coming out with the Lucasfilm Pioneer and the sound side of volume, that could have a huge impact. And I mean, I've said before, if you want to have a Han Solo sequel, Solo 2, stick it in the volume, $80 million. There you go. Problem solved. You don't have to spend 200 million pounds on it.
0: Well, and that's, I think, a good place. Uh, we were just talking about all the media that we like to consume. So let's get into what we have consumed since the last time we recorded. This is media consumption movies tv video games music podcasts etc anything that we have consumed uh to pass the time from our day-to-day lives these are the things that we uh we have been watching and or listening to matt what have you been consuming Uh, another mixed bag for me um it
1: was a busy week last week um with dual working and schooling and all the rest of it so again a slightly smaller offering but i have i found time to listen to the nightmare on film street podcast where they did a half an hour review of malignant um john's favorite film of the year if you didn't hear last week um that's definitely not john's favorite film of the year uh but they enjoyed it and i i i, I dug what they said and it kind of vibed with what i said in the sense that you know this is how i interpreted james Wan treating the material was how i felt you know it was a throwaway it had that camp to it um and that's how they did it so they obviously listened to the BAMP. and if so cheers but in terms of i haven't watched any uh, streaming because you know me i'm awful at that but i am going to be watching uh star wars visions which drops this week um nine anime shorts from some of the best studios uh in asia that drops on wednesday of this week the 22nd hearing only good things mostly good things uh, about that so that they all drop on the 22nd. So by the time you're hearing this, they've all dropped. So go and check it out. Um, Films. I've been going back and watching some of the um, films I've missed from this year. Uh, As you would have heard last year or the last two or three, four years we've been doing the show. I I, I can't do an end of year list unless I've, you know, realistically seen as many of the big hitters or the, um, I don't say major films, but, T- t- I have a gap list and in my head I know which films I've got to see to see whether or not they'd impact my top 20 But so I went back and watched Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar which I have been meaning to watch for Me a few too. months now because it's been widely available it, it, it didn't get a, I don't think it got a theatrical release over here it came straight to Sky um, which was originally which was uh, Sky Premiere you pay what 10, 15 quid you get to watch it now it's just part of the package um, and I watched the the Mauritanian as well the Jodie Foster um, nine eleven centric Guantanamo Bay dro- uh, legal drama uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar which is, I mean let's face it it's a very cool name, but uh, have you seen that first?
0: I haven't, no, it's on my list and I actually think I bought it even, I just haven't got to it yet
1: Cause I I, I'm sure you've mentioned it um, in some way, shape or form, but uh, mm. I thought it was fine I thought it was okay it, it, it's it's aiming to be a kind of like off the wall comedy and it is but it, it does even though it's trying to be that it still feels like a bit of a mess to me it was just you know i had, I had some moments where i did laugh out loud but they were a bit inconsistent uh the performances are fine but um it was it, it's just another comedy for me which just come and gone i can't i want another comedy which just throttles me because it's so funny and i'm I miss, I miss, I'm missing the comedy genre at the minute, man. Like, good comedies, Uh, like straight up comedy as well. Like, this is a standalone, straight up comedy film, but it got, they convoluted it too much and it, it it could have been better. Um, The Mauritanian, however, I thought this was, I thought this was fab, really very good. Um, uh, Jodie Foster stars, it's tahar Rahim who was getting a lot of Oscar buzz, he didn't get nominated. Uh, for Best Actor, he should have done. Shailene Woodley, Benedict Cumberbatch. I know why this film didn't get nominated to the Oscars, because your uh, is, JB, but the United States do not come out of this film looking good at all. But that is also mm. the point of the film. It's written by um Mohamedou who um, who is played in this film by Tahar Rahim. And it's based on his memoirs of the time, the 14 years, just the 14 years, he was held in Guantanamo Bay by, which started um. off with the Bush regime through Obama, um, held there with with no charges. He was just told he was just put there without, without ever being told why. Nobody was ever told why. But in post nine eleven, he was you know they they thought he had something to do with it. He was there for fourteen years, physical trauma, sexual trauma, mental abuse, mental torture. It, it's just it's his story. And Jodie Foster plays Nancy Hollander, who's a legal counsel. Legal defense for him. Benedict Cumberbatch is the the pro- military prosecution. Uh, it's pretty good. I really liked it. Um, I think I ended by saying it, it was very, very strong rather than like spectacular. It, 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 this, this film doesn't aim for to be like visually stunning or, or, or kind of a thriller. It's very much um, a character piece. And I think it's really good. And um, I wish I'd seen it earlier, but um, so the Mauritanian is a, uh, going to rank fairly high in my list of 2021 films and i also watched a film which i know that john has seen but you'll have to remind me what did you think of the green knight
0: oh, i i love the green night
1: okay because so i finally got to see it via um a24 and i think the green knight was nothing short of stunning yep. i honestly thought the green knight was outrageously it had no uh reason to be that good but it was i think the, um everyone's said it who's seen that dev patel is fabulous dev patel is yeah. great dev patel is a he's a national treasure and he sh- damn well should be the green knight though is this weird it's wonderful it's genuinely excellent filmmaking and um, david lowry hasn't really put a foot wrong for us at least as well no nope. yeah um, big fan. so it's just another to feather in the cap i mean the old man and the gun was his last film a ghost story before that uh james and a giant peach no was that what it was Was it was it that one uh
0: Uh, no the pete's dragon
1: pete's dragon i get but james and a giant peach pete's dragon was very good um and going back as well so you know it's another reason to why david lowry is an artist behind the camera and yeah this film is it won't work for everyone this film is it's the the pacing will destroy people and also potentially like the title may give connotations to some which aren't in the actual film but um I thought it was bloody good. You know, possibly my favorite film of the year. Um, So Green Knight, uh, go and see it. (laughs) It's on Amazon prime in the UK and also uh, getting a theatrical release as well. Watch it. John, I think it was, I don't know where it ranks for John, but it's, if it's not my top film of the year, it's in the top one or two or three at the minute.
0: Yeah, I I love Green Knight. I I actually can't wait to purchase it. Um, But, all right. Um, my uh, consumption, I, as per usual, I've listened to the Blank Check podcast this week. They did Christine, which I'd watched, I think, on our last episode I talked about. I really liked that movie. I found it to be really entertaining. It's a good episode of the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, TV-wise, I've, I've kept up with What If? Uh, so I'm up to date with the What If? series on, Mar- on Disney+. Plus. And then I am um, also up to date with What We Do in the Shadows uh, on FX the most recent episode <clears throat> you were mentioning like comedy I laughed out loud so many times watching it I was like cracking up um, <laughs> it's so funny uh, I need to watch dude that series is so good um, I, I just can't encourage people enough to watch what we do in the shadows it is such a great show again Taika Waititi attached to it good sense of humor um, he's not I don't think he's writing anything he, he's obviously he, he made the movie he starred in the movie um, and he's a producer on the show and he's been on a few episodes, uh, in a different capacity than he was in the movie. But, um, he's definitely the, the people he's put in place are experts at what they're doing. And it's great. Yeah. Um, movie wise, I watched, uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, um, in preparation for an upcoming episode. I think I got like two or three movies before, but I've seen all the other ones in between. Uh, man, that movie's wild. Have you ever seen Prince of Darkness? <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I liked it. Uh it's it's but it's out there and it's uh man, it's it's definitely it's wacky, uh, to say the least. Um I had a student been recommending a movie on Netflix called Apostle that has uh Dan Stevens yes. and um um Oh, why isn't it coming to me? Uh, Martin not is it Martin? No. I can't remember who's in it, but I saw Mark. it when it came out. I can't think of his name. He's in uh, oh man, he's in Good Omens, he's in Underworld, um British guy on, on. rack your brains rack your brain oh, come on it's, jb it's it's not going to come uh but i really michael like that. Too. michael sheen is it lucy uh, boynton's
1: yeah. in it as well i'm oh, a big fan yes. of
0: sing street uh my the where i know her best but um possible man really solid uh mm-hmm. liked it a lot um yep same uh i'm going to jump around a bit here i watched the original cape fear from uh the what 1963 or whatever um yes I've been meaning to watch that one for a while. I I watched Scorsese's earlier this year and I wanted to get to it. So I did make an effort and caught that man. That movie is great. I like both versions. um, But that original man is way creepier Mm because the kid is so much younger um, than Juliette Lewis is in the, the De Niro one. She's still young there, but this, this kid is a kid like Juliette Lewis is playing younger than she actually is in Cape Fear like, this is like a kid, and it so it was way more disturbing. Um, uh, for movie club this week, we're watching Sweetheart, which is from 2019 It has Kirstie Clemens in it. Um, oh, nice. Have you seen it? I haven't, no. So, here's the thing I'm gonna I, don't look up anything, it's not like a perfect movie by any means, but it's very interesting. I will say it's kind of got a castaway vibe where like she washes up on a, an island after. We don't see the accident, but like we're we're joining her at the very beginning, right after like she's recovering. Like I think the movie opens with her waking up on a desert island. Okay, that's all you need to know about it. it it's she's a she's a good actress. She gets to really shine here. Um, again, there's some there's some things in the movie I don't love, but I think it's compelling enough. And the there's two shots in the movie that are mind-blowingly cool that make the movie worth watching, I think. And it's short. It's like 88 minutes. So you're not like investing a whole lot, uh, into the movie, but definitely that's what we're going to be talking about. Movie club. I can't wait to talk with Corey about it because I want to talk about this one shot so much. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, check that out. Um, on Netflix. Uh, I went and saw a cop shop, um, at the theater. Now this is a movie that when it, the week before it came out, I saw a poster at my local s- multiplex, had not seen a trailer for it. I've been to my theater every weekend <laughs> since May, have not seen a trailer for this movie, see a poster. Then the movie comes out. And I'm like, why have I not seen a trailer for this? It's directed by Joe Carnahan, who has done some really solid work. Like he did The Grey. He did uh, Smoking Aces. Like he's done solid action. This movie stars Gerard Butler, Frank Grillo, um, Alexis Lauder, and Toby Huss. And I'm not going to say too much because there is a chance we're going to be talking about this movie in detail next week. Probably not. But I kind of went in expecting it to be just like a, a silly action movie that I, it would be inconsequential. But I kind of needed a palate cleanser. Um, knowing Cry Macho was going to be the movie I was watching and I felt like that was going to be a little more dramatic and serious. I, this movie was really good is all I'm going to say. Like way better than I had anticipated. Um, it, it's not perfect and it definitely is. It's aware of its camp. And it, it, it just does it really well. And I was, I was, uh, same, same group of friends that went and saw Malignant a week before where we were unhappy when we left. Uh, they went into this one kind of apprehensive. I even warned them. I'm like, this is probably going to be like B level, but I'm kind of up for that right now. I'm in the mood for that. And then it was way better. And one of my friends declared it as one of the best movies he has seen recently. Wow. Uh um, so- praise yeah it, again grillo and and butler when they're in the right roles just know what they're doing and i think they are cast perfectly for this movie um so cop shop if it's a plan near you i think it's worth checking out especially if you like action it is violent and it definitely is a little bit like gun positive like it like it's there's a lot of gun stuff in this movie <laughs> um but if, if you can deal with that it's it's there um and then lastly the last thing i watch. uh I'm working through the top 100 AFI films. I've been working through that list for a while now, um, but I checked out Easy Rider, the Dennis Hopper directed film from 1969, uh, leaving me now with 19 movies left to watch of the top 100 of AFI's all time list. Um, I don't love Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a tone poem, and it's a tone that I don't necessarily vibe with. But I also didn't dislike it, and it was the the ending shocked me because um, it, it it it's kind of crazy how some of it syncs up with stuff that's still happening today like with just this like these two perspectives that we can't it's as if you can't have competing philosophies exist like that one has to be wiped out and I, i think that's a shame um that we that that's existed for so long so yeah that was my take on easy rider
1: a a, the the standard mixed bag smorgasbord of fun from jb there easy rider i thought was i thought was all right again but it's it's fine it's a good film but i haven't ever kind of felt the urge to rewatch it whilst i acknowledge that it's a good film
0: yeah it's a it's a little shocking it's on the top 100 to be honest like Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel revolutionary in any major ways i don't know maybe it was like one of the early like it's not avant-garde really, but it kind of is. Cause it's just like, there is a part that feels very much like a horror movie in it. Like where there's like, yes, uh, just like the tone and the music and everything. It's definitely got Hopper's kind of erratic history built into it. Right. Um, it's
1: the end of the end of the decade. We mentioned things that on astrology, like Bolly and Clyde and that, that kind of yes. new filmmaking, like shaking things up, the rebellious side. So it, you know, it's got that going for it.
0: But yeah, that's uh that's what we've been consuming folks. Um, And we're about done here at the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. But before we wrap up, we have to check in to make sure we're keeping our levels high enough to keep this podcast going. So what I need to ask you, Matt, is what have you been doing to stay bloody awesome since the last time we recorded?
1: Well, I've been looking at myself in the mirror whilst you talk and mouthing the words to sound like John Burke. That's what I've been doing, be like Burke. Uh, No, um, I, I attended a barbecue on Sunday. Uh, in the in the British uh, uh, ecosystem, uh, in September we went for I went for a barbecue as part of a um, with the sessions uh, SWS uh, a, a listener and one of the local guys from Essex, you know, yeah. invited us to his barbecue and a few other listeners and um, we went around there, kind of just sort of it, it was a way of uh, the guy George who hosted it was he was saying you know it's been a rough year for everyone so he wanted to get people together to have a good time. Uh, it was the end of summer as well so kind of like seeing out the summer bringing in the autumn slash fall uh, and that was really cool that really cool. It. it it was something which i haven't really been able to do an awful lot of in in recent times is just you know go out to a gathering in someone's garden get the barbecue going crack open a beer um and, and georgie boy had uh, a an american sweet kind of business on the side so there was a hell of a lot of us candy on the on the table some laffy taffies there as well i i very much enjoyed smashing those back um but yeah a nice little uh, communal get together uh just what the doctor ordered after what well, has been a busy year and a, and a busy old few weeks so uh very much enjoyed that and they have got the bloody awesome levels uh well up again my friend but uh that's me consuming a lot of meat what about yourself
0: well um my daughter turned 16 uh over a year ago yep. um and we have been wanting to buy her a car uh, for quite some time and we've been very you know we didn't want to get into payments and we didn't want to uh you know buy something that w- we were afraid wouldn't last or things like that so we've been waiting 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 and finally last night uh, literally one day before we recorded um we we found a car and uh so Sweet. my daughter now is a car owner um well i mean technically we own a third car but nevertheless uh we were able to find a good deal uh, a nice car we got her a 2013 nissan Altima nice and it's she's really happy with it um we're we feel confident that it's like a safe car um you know but it looks nice uh it's it's not in perfect condition it is a 2013 although it is the newest car we own because my truck is a 2005 I was say
1: it's newer than mine.
0: Um, and and my wife's car is a 2009 so our cars are getting a little old and then now we've, we've got a 2013 in there but um but yeah uh it's you know it's been a long time we we had a couple of close ones that we almost bought and then we last minute like hesitated um but yeah we are we were uh quite happy to finally get that third car into our rotation because sometimes uh it's been hard to organize everything in our lives around only two cars when like three people have to be at different places and um so yeah it's 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 exciting uh for her you know cuz she's been w- waiting very patiently super patient like not in any way pressuring or like whining about not having her own car but um, we've bought her like some like stickers and stuff to put on her car once she got her car, yeah. but hasn't had that. So now like she's going to get to do that. And it's, it's exciting. It's a big moment, you know, like one Four more step into adulthood. Up. Exactly
1: and uh florida is as i said it takes seven hours to get from one place in florida to another so you're gonna need that car um whereas it takes Indeed. seven hours well from here to norway so but no that's good news my friend i remember getting my first car uh, and yes your daughter does have a newer car than me as well so uh take care of it and stay safe on the road
0: yep that's that's always our goal and folks that concludes our episode of cry macho We're going to be back next week, and we're going to give you a curveball here. We're either going to be covering Dear Evan Hansen, The Starling, or, very unlikely, but maybe, Cop Shop. Um, Dear Evan Hansen (laughs) in the U.S. is going to be in theaters everywhere. In the U.K., though, it's not open for, like, two more weeks, I think? Uh,
1: It's mid-October, so I'm trying to do some wrangling behind the scenes.
0: So if we can get it, that's what we're going to cover. If not, uh, The Starling drops on Netflix. It is a new Melissa McCarthy leading vehicle. Um, it sounds interesting, but I've literally heard nothing about it, and that makes <laughs> me a little nervous. Um, and then Cop Shop, I've already seen, but Matt hasn't. And I, I did kind of praise it maybe too high even, but I'd love to talk about it in, in length with you. So if we end up doing that one uh, one way or the other, one of those three movies will be our focus Um, Most likely, I will. I will definitely have seen Evan Hansen, so I can at least give like my thought on it. Um, And good chance I'll watch the Starling. I like if it if it it feels like it's a drama, and I really like Melissa McCarthy dramas. I don't like her comedies very often, um, especially if she's in the lead
1: with her husband.
0: Yeah, especially if if he's (laughs)
1: in Falcone, bless him.
0: In the meantime, if you uh, would like to follow us on social media, on Instagram we're at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod, and on Twitter. Uh, at BAMP underscore podcast, B A M P underscore podcast, and you can search for us on Facebook at Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh individually, you can follow me at BurkeReviews and at Burke Reviews on all the social media platforms. And
1: Matt, uh, what I and all the socials, including Letterboxd what I watched tonight.
0: And the last thing we'll say is if you like what we're doing here at the bloody awesome movie podcast that you take just a few moments of your time to give us that five-star rating, hit the like button or share it with your friends, whatever you can do to help other people find us. We would be ever so grateful. And with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody
1: awesome.